Hello, guys, and welcome into another roundtable on the MLS Bench Podcast. Maybe the last one for a while, as qualifying has now wrapped up, and it will be uh, quite some time till the national team gets back together or we have any kind of communal soccer events, uh, such as World Cup qualifying. But I did want to uh, hit up the Costa Rica game and maybe touch on um, some larger qualifying storylines now that everything's kind of wrapped up. I also maybe want to hit the uh, World Cup as the draw was today. We're, uh, we're recording this on Friday, so we know the groups. We know all the teams, when they'll be playing, where they'll be playing, against what teams they will be playing. So that'll be quite um, quite an interesting uh, thing to break down, especially as the U.S. Uh, has been drawn into a group that I think is definitely worth some discussion. But I think I want to start with the Costa Rica game, where the U.S. lost 2-0 to Costa Rica. But in many respects, it was not really a loss because as long as the United States didn't lose by six, we were going to the World Cup. And so we didn't lose by six and we're going to the World Cup. So there's a little um, nuance in the result, but I think overall a pretty happy result. So we have Matt, we have Joe, uh, to, and probably some more people hopping in and out. Uh, you guys have probably heard as um, we've had these roundtables in the past. You guys kind of know the drill at this point. So um, I guess we'll start with Joe. Uh, what's your kind of take on the Costa Rica game? It was very much a weird game, even from the onset, because even though it wasn't mathematically qualified, we pretty much did against Panama. So for all intents and purposes, this was a glorified friendly that as long as we didn't lose by six, that was all we had to do, really. And first half, I didn't think was terrible. Um, we got in a couple shots on goal. If it wasn't Navas himself, probably going to the half one to nothing, or at least it gives you, a, we probably would have a much better chance in the second half. But whether it was Adams being taken off to start the second half or fatigue or we thought we did good enough, you know, the second half, it was what it was, unfortunately. But at the end of the day, that the the result of that game was certainly not going to be more important in the actual fact that the result was still good enough for us to get to the World Cup. Yeah, Matt, I think that's kind of how that's kind of the general view is like not a great result in a vacuum, but over the course of 14 games, good enough to put us in the World Cup. Absolutely. It was uh, a good example of the team knowing that they had to go in there, do a job. They went in there. They did the job. Uh, you know, you could look at a little bit more of the context and see that Costa Rica had several starters out because of uh, yellow card accumulation leading into their World Cup or yeah, their World Cup qualifying playoff uh, against New Zealand. Is that who it is now? Yep, it's New Zealand. Yeah. Um, which I don't know if we want to get into it. Dumb rule, bad rule. Don't do that. But. I'm happy that it got us a little bit closer. Uh, I think that uh, it was a pretty professional performance. If we can put away a few of those chances, which we saw that in uh, in the game at the Azteca. We saw that now at Costa Rica. Something to consider. We need to be a little bit more uh, efficient in front of goal. But the the only thing that matters is that we made it. We made it to the World Cup after... For really, really long years from Cuba, 
we're in. That's yeah. the only thing to take away. Yeah. I, I, I'm going to touch on those four years and kind of how this, what's changed and how, I don't know, I guess I'll touch on it in a minute, because I think it's kind of hard to put a finger on necessarily why the emotions are so kind of mixed after this game. But I think, on speaking on the game itself, um, which is kind of what I want to do right now, Navas is just such a good keeper, man. Like, he is the reason why that game did not go in the U.S.'s favor. He's the reason why Costa Rica got to party in that game, because I he's just a world-class keeper, and some of the saves that he made... There's not many keepers, forget CONCACAF, in the world who are making those saves. I I thought, for the most part, the U.S. played a better game than Costa Rica. It goes back to that thing that we've been touching on now for a while of when the U.S. doesn't have, or when the U.S. has the ball, they're a worse team than when they don't have the ball. Because the U.S., I don't know the exact number, but they had, like, they had more possession this game by a fair bit. And... They still weren't able to create much. Now, I think a lot of that is down to tired legs. You're playing a lot of starters three times. Tyler Adams, three straight starts. Anthony Robinson, both center backs, three straight starts. It's the exact same lineup that played at Mexico just seven days earlier. So I think a large part of that is down the legs. But again, the U.S. had the ball and wasn't able to create much. Matt, why do you think that is? You know, it's tough to say. I think that there's a very, very obvious uh, missing presence in midfield from Weston McKinney. I think that his ability to go ahead and create in the midfield for him to be able to disrupt, whether that be, you know, in the run of play or especially on set pieces, um, you could definitely feel that absence a little bit uh, in both the Mexico and the Costa Rica matches. Yeah, Joe, do you want to touch on like, I think it's more of a broader thing. Like, it's not to... Uh, it's not specific to this game necessarily, but do you see anything kind of specific to this game on why the U.S. wasn't able to create much at all with the ball? Yeah, well, you have to also remember going into this window, we were down how many star players? We were missing Brendan Aronson. We were missing Weston McKinney. We were missing Dest, which all of those players can absolutely make a difference in any individual game just by themselves. And especially with McKinney, in the first half, we had, can't remember the exact number, but we had to have had at least five-plus corners or, you know, at least uh, set pieces. It would have been a good time to have Weston McKinney. He's absolutely a threat in the air. He attacks the ball very well. And don't you know it, when we had all that, we need excellence to beat somebody like Navas. If you can recall, when we played them at home, it took a magnificent strike from Dest in order to actually beat him. Basically, nothing else was able to get through that. But in terms of the game that we just played, we had the Acosta and Adams with Musa there. Musa is good with taking the ball up the field, but he's not, not necessarily be the best distributor of the ball. And then Costa is fully capable of doing, uh, of doing some good passing and especially good on set pieces, but he just didn't have the best game tonight. So it, it also, it could have been a lot of different factors in terms of this game, but there's also some more questions that we might have to ask ourselves over qualifying as a whole as well. Yeah, this was definitely probably the match that we saw some of those limitations to, 
to Acosta's game in particular. Um, but I think that there's still, you know, as you see the change um, at the six, I think that he's better there, but you know, there's no replacing Tyler Adams from halftime and we see what follows. Uh, I yeah. think that there's still a lot of reason to be hopeful though. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I, I think a hundred percent. I, this is not a game that, I mean, it's a glorified friendly in that, Costa Rica clearly had no intention to win by six. They never came in trying to score that many goals, trying to, you know, go, you know, all out, trying to get um, the, the tally that could put them in automatically. That was just never going to happen. And the U.S. put out a lineup that, albeit while tired, wasn't going to lose by six to any team in CONCACAF anywhere um, in CONCACAF. Um, so I think w- when you put those two things in tandem, it's easy for the intensity for the U.S. not to be as high. And like we said, Kellen Acosta, I believe, played in all three games. I believe he played versus Panama um, as well. It didn't start, but played. Uh, all the, like, Yunus Musa, like we were saying, um, started. He was very tired versus Panama. Got subbed off in that game. Looked tired again now. Anthony Robinson, I mean, he's he's an Iron Man. He continues to play uh, like every minute for the United States. Um, but started to show um, some signs of tiredness in this game, too. Uh, so I, when you put those stuff together, it, it's hard to create a, a performance that's going to be as high tempo as just intensity and locked in, especially if the, you know, the measuring stick is a 5-1 win against Panama just three days earlier. Uh, I think we're almost done, I think, touching on this game. Um, I was very impressed, and I don't normally talk about opponents as much in, as on this pod as I probably should. But I was very impressed with some of Costa Rica's youngsters. Aguilera, in particular, just looked like a breath a breath of fresh air in there. Um, does anybody want to touch on uh, like how Costa Rica kind of played its youth and how those youth definitely produced? It changed their window, or their their World Cup qualifying uh, campaign so significantly. Earlier on in the in the entire campaign, Costa Rica was struggling. They took 19 of 21 points, I believe, out of their last seven yep. matches. Yep, only a tie to Mexico and a win versus every other team in CONCACAF in the last, uh, the back half of qualifying. That is ridiculous. That is an absolute credit to their coaching. That's an absolute credit to players stepping up. Um, Costa Rica, you know, we, we saw that in, I think that was the match in Columbus. Uh, it was a lot of, Older players, and you could definitely see that their legs started to go pretty quickly. I, I definitely remember uh, <laughs> Miles Robinson chasing down Brian Ruiz from, I think, midfield when Ruiz was maybe 30 yards out. Yeah. To change I, that around yeah. so significantly, there's not enough credit to go ahead and give to Costa Rica to change their fate throughout World Cup qualifying. Well done. Saprissa Stadium looked incredible. Uh, yeah, great job, Costa Rica. I yeah. say also to add to that, um, in terms of how important Navas is to this team, I think the stat that came out from Paul Carr, basically the expected goal differential for Costa Rica, he saved an extra five total goals for Costa Rica just by himself over the course of qualifying considering they did not have a margin of victory over two goals, our game actually was the highest margin of victory that they had. They did nothing over all of qualifying. Every other game that they won was by one goal. 
of the fact that he was able to say five by himself, I, I think that just speaks margin to how good he is. Yeah. Um, I, I, I'm with you, uh, Matt, like specifically on the, I'm with you on both those points, but I'm with you, Matt, on the, um, the point about how the youth, how kind of reimagining this team turned around their hopes. I don't have it right in front of me, but, uh, a guy in the scuff discord I mentioned in the past, uh, put together like a model essentially of how likely the teams are to make the world cup as we go on, uh, through qualifying. And there was a point where Costa Rica was under 50% if you put together their auto-qualifying percentage uh, chance and their fourth-place playoff chance. And you can see it after that, the first seven games of qualifying, they just get more and more and more likely. Um, and eventually, uh, they've put themselves in a great position to qualify um, against New Zealand uh, in the one-off game in June. So I will be rooting for Costa Rica not only as a CONCACAF fan, but as a fan of um, just what it what you can do when you give the young players a chance, when you let them mingle with the older players, and when you let that team gel and reimagine how you can play. It's really amazing what they can do. And what Costa Rica was able to do is they were saying it on extra time, and I completely agree. It's a run that is most top teams in CONCACAF haven't done you didn't lose for seven straight games in qualifying i mean against all the te- like every team against how good canada have been you beat them united states beat them mexico i believe they drew them and beat everybody else so that's what got them in uh to the world cup intercontinental playoff and if they get to the world cup um that's not going to be a run that's forgotten uh, forgotten anytime soon so that's kind of all i want to touch on in that game uh I think I kind of want to touch on the larger picture now. Like I was saying, the United States are going to the World Cup for the first time in eight years. It's been eight years since Tim Howard uh, had that incredible, incredible game versus Belgium. Uh, and we, the United States uh, still got eliminated. Um, coming up this July will be uh, eight years since we got knocked out of that World Cup. And by the time uh, next November, November the 21st, rolls around, it'll be give or take uh like four uh four years and five months since the united states last played a game in the fifa world cup and so so much has changed since then and so so much has changed just in the last four years or so since kuva i don't know i i kind of just want to open up the floor like what's your soccer journey kind of been like for you and how have you kind of seen american soccer develop since that belgium game and how do you see it developing even in the next seven months as we have that long awaited return to the World Cup? For me, it was a four year process, really. And because we had an interim head coach for that for basically the entire first year, and then we got to Greg finally coming in. And then initially the team did not play very well. Uh, for a variety of reasons. I can remember before the 2019 Gold Cup, we had, I believe, those friendlies against Jamaica and Venezuela. And they lost both games. And that it was, and it wasn't even remotely close, really. Then we looked a little bit better in the 2019 Gold Cup by itself. Uh, I believe you lost one to nothing 
in the final against Mexico, and we looked a little bit better, but we had so many questions at the end of that, and then we just lost all of 2020 because of COVID. So basically, we came into this qualifying cycle with we didn't even know our best starting 11. We didn't really know what our identity was. I think it all really changed with the Nations League win. I think that was a really big deal that sparked the confidence with this group that is for all intents and purposes, we qualified with an Olympic under-23 team. I don't think that's touched on enough people, just how impressive that actually is. And with that confidence, you know, coming back, not just once, but twice to beat Mexico, and then you won the Gold Cup, it gave us some confidence, and we, at the end of this now, we have a good starting 11, a very strong starting 11. We have some great players, and we know that where they're going. I think it's just been, literally, we've come from scratch at the end of 2018, and now to kind of have... I won't call it a finished product because we still have a lot of work to do. We don't have a striker. Um, we might need to think about who we want on for the on the back line. But I think we've come a long way. And we com- basically completely turned over the roster since then. And I think we have a really bright future going forward. A- absolutely. And I think it's really, really important to, to view that window um, largely under Dave Sarikin at the time, where you're right, the the actual on-the-field product was rough. Uh, that was not a fun time to be a U.S. soccer supporter, fan, viewer, anything. But what we really saw was the process of going past that, that lost generation. We talk about, I think it was the 2000 eight Olympics that we uh, did not qualify for. And the the kind of real gap between strong players like Clint Dempsey, like, uh, oh gosh, Landon Donovan. And then now we have this new crop of young players who were forming at such a high level. Um, and, you know, it, it's it has to have been a very deliberate process to go ahead and get those players in get those players performing together and it's worked. It was not fun. It was not easy, but it has worked. We're the youngest team going to the world cup this year. And that's, yeah, that is a really, really hopeful picture looking at both this year because we're young, but we're good it's a significantly more hopeful picture looking towards the future. Yeah, I think, and I think Scuff was saying something similar is like after 2017, there was a long stretch where there just wasn't hope. There there wasn't hope. Christian Pulisic, we saw Weston McKinney, we saw Tyler Adams, we saw too, but it didn't, it looked like individual players. It, It just didn't, Losing three nil to, or I think it was two or three nil to Venezuela in a friendly, it just. I think something clicked for me there is like, oh no, like this wasn't a one-off game in Cuba or 
a couple uh like dotted friendlies here. No, this is this is bad. This is really bad. And what these guys have been able to do losing a year, if people forget about that. They lost a year, a complete year. They came together in a couple friendlies at the beginning of 2021. They came together a little bit um a little bit uh toward like the end of May when they got uh that longer camp, uh they got the Switzerland friendly. And really from that Mexico game in Denver in the Nations League, it's kind of just started to click. And it's still a building product. This isn't a finished product. This product is not what we're going to see in the World Cup because it hasn't stopped growing and evolving and changing. This last window of World Cup qualifying was our most difficult window. We went to the Azteca. We had our must-win game at home versus Panama. And they passed those games with flying colors in a way that they would not have been able to six months ago or nine months ago or, goodness me, two years ago that we wouldn't have had a shot. So to see where we've come in just two or three years and just think about where we could go moving forward is unbelievable to think about. It, it's truly something that is like, I nobody saw this four years ago. I was going to just kind of raise the point a, a little bit looking more at, at, you're right, this window that is far and away the most difficult to, to you know, end with road trips to two places that uh, what we've never won in an official comp- competition. Um, it, looking especially at that Mexico game now, that is really the difference between us being in a World Cup group with England, Iran, and then either um, Ukraine, Wales, or Scotland. A, a not easy group, but an easier group than the winner of that intercontinental uh, playoff with New Zealand that would then go into Spain, Germany, and Japan. Yeah. It cannot be noted enough how important these results, that that strategy of playing players at the right times, uh, it, it can't be overstated how important it was to get that draw away. I was wrong. Good job, Greg. I I was incorrect to say don't bet on that game. Good job. You that was great. Yeah. I I forget who was saying. Oh, I think it was um Greg Velasquez a couple nights ago was like it is kind of you, you can't have it both ways cuz like maybe the problem and I think in my opinion the problem versus Costa Rica was essentially lack of creativity, tired legs, um just you know maybe those legs would have been there had they not played versus Mexico. So you can't necessarily say like, oh, the Costa Rica result was a given and the Mexico result was the variable. It kind of goes both ways. But I agree with you that Greg got that one right. He said, we can get a point in Mexico. This is here for the taking. We really should have gotten three, but we got the one that was needed and we ran with it. And that is why we're in the World Cup right now. That's why we can be having this pod and be reflecting and be hopeful because we don't have to play even though we probably should have we probably could have won and would have won that game too the one off versus New Zealand it makes our life a lot easier and it makes us a lot more comfortable right now um than what we would have been hey Jackie hi it's me um Tyler Adams said in his press conference someone like mentioned 
you know, what is the thing that's changed the most for you over the past windows, right? And he kind of chuckled about like, right, his first interview right off the bat, like I think he had a New York Times article or something. He was like, we're going to win every game of every window, right? And that was like their mentality going into the first window. And then they drew at El Salvador and like, it looked like we were going to, yeah, it didn't look good, right? And, um, And so, you know, he said that something that changed for them was they started looking at just the game that was coming, right? And so I think you're right that you can't, you can't say whether or not if we had the legs because we rested in Mexico or whatever, right? That you can kind of do go back and forth on that. But I think a valuable thing that this team learned and something that I think Greg Berhalter did right was like just looking at the game in front of them um, instead of trying to like game play it out. Cause you, frankly, we saw what happened in the last world cup qualifying window or qualifying cycle when we tried to just like game it out when we're like when we were like ah we're we're gonna all we need to do is get a point away like we saw what happened and so I did appreciate that Greg was like nah I mean this is the game we have to win right now and you don't even you don't know if we might not win it or whatever um and this ended up being the point basically um right yeah yeah I mean, the point that we needed, I mean, we came in saying four points. Four is the magic number. Five gets us in automatically, but four is the magic number. And getting that point versus Mexico made that Panama game just feel a lot, a lot more fun to be at and a lot more of a uh, kind of a chill environment because it's like, okay, all we need to do is beat Panama by essentially a goal. And given, I mean, we, we could have had a nightmare at Costa Rica. That could have been in the cards then. But, I mean, really that win versus Panama which we passed again with flying colors and uh, going to the world cup. I, it's one of those things where looking back still, eh, there's a, a long gap there. Like I said, eight years, eight and a half years um, about be- between uh, what was our last world cup game in 2014 to what will be our um, first world cup game in Qatar in November that's a long, long time. And there's a lot of kids who missed out on watching the World Cup during their developmental years with the United States as kind of like their team. Like, I could cheer for the United States. Like, I I know what it was like to watch the United States in the World Cup as a kid. Oh, there's a lot of kids who weren't able to do that. And I think it just... The, it just reminds me of the importance when we get to have this excitement, when we get to have this build-up, when we get to see, like, oh, yeah, this game is going to matter, not only on a U.S. stage or a CONCACAF stage, but on a global stage in a way that these these boys, these 23- and 24-year-old boys, get a chance to write what U.S. soccer will be in the eyes of the world and in the, in the eyes of our own kids and our own youth who want to aspire to be these players, just making the World Cup, just on a fundamental level, making the World Cup matters so, so much. And to say that we did it, to say that we righted those wrongs of four years ago, is just something that I don't think, um, you, you can't take that away from these guys. And it just makes it all the more crucial and just all the more happy why we were able to get the job done, you know? 
there's I think uh now you go you go there's such a huge difference between being a team preparing for the World Cup and being the team that other teams prepare against that is an image thing that is a, an understanding of what the sport is in our nation like there is no question how massive an impact being on this stage, being at this level, means to the future of this game. Jackie, did you kind of want to hop in and share what you were going to share? Well, I, I'm. I think. Uh, well, I, I'm like here to be the bummer a little bit. It's it's hard, like because I think uh, I I held on to like the anger more than anything about us not qualifying for so long. And it's kind of like we qualified and I was like immediately relieved and then really excited. And then I like realized that there's a a really large group of players who like never got to have their final world cup, like people who are absolute fucking legends, like of our team who never got to have their world cup. And it's almost like I didn't mourn that for them. I didn't get to grieve that for them in 2017, 2018, because I was just angry that we didn't make it. But now that we've made it to this world cup, it's almost like now my heart starts hurting for, you know, Dempsey and um, Tim Howard, especially, but even people like, I don't know, like Michael Bradley. uh, Yeah. Michael Bradley, Alabadoya was on the bench for the Trinidad game. Like Wanda, Chris Wondolowski, like Wando deserved to have another shot to score a fucking goal. So people would get off his back about Belgium. Right. And he, he, we didn't get to have that. There's like this large group of players that never got to have their redemption in whatever redemption they, you know, uh, they deserved or needed or whatever. And it's, it's like weird. Cause it's like, I should be really excited and I am, but it's like, and it's weird that I never processed those feelings until we qualified for this World Cup. But, like, I can't help but think about, this, you know, this for them. Because they basically tanked, like, pretty much all of those guys' World Cup, like, or uh, USMNT careers. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. uh, well, some of them even... because of age, but, like, Omar got called up for a Gold Cup and I was in a fit of fury. He, he was probably fine. He probably deserved to be on it, but I would just like would not allow myself to think that he deserved to be on the roster, right? Because there was so much anger involved. Um, and now, even now, I'm like, well, I mean, he was fine, right? Like, it's it's so weird that that's, that's where my brain has gone, but of course it has. And it's not even just... that. It, it, that's such a good point, Jackie. Like, under, or like, thinking about those players who are part of that lost generation, despite being incredible players needs to be realized. And that, yeah, you're a hundred percent right. And we're not talking about just their USMNT careers. We're talking about their, their careers outside of, of the national team too. You know, the, 2018, if he was, you know, healthy and ready for it could have been a massive year for somebody like Sebastian Litjet who was being looked at by teams like West Ham. Who knows what that could mean? You know, it's... Eh. Right, he could have gotten a Hamas-like move or a Joel Campbell-like move, you know, in 2014, right? They, like, really broke out and, like, came out of nowhere, kind of, to, like, 
kick ass of the World Cup and then got huge moves. And like people talk about the lost generation in terms of like, I think it's like the birth years, but I wonder how many of like, yeah, Legette, Roldan, Ariola, if they had gone to a World Cup and done well, how many of them would have gotten moves to Europe, et cetera? And I mean, I guess this is a thing to be excited about for this group of guys, right? Is this group of guys is really young and there are MLSers and whatever. And we can argue about whether or not MLS and, you know, I don't want to do that. But I just mean, like, this could put a lot of these players who may not have had the chance to put themselves on any sort of map, like, on the map. And, like, Matt Turner, I think, for example, is moving to Arsenal because he had a high, uh, a couple of high-profile games for the USMNT, right? Or at least that contributes to it. And so to do it on, like, a world stage is going to be is going to be really exciting, like, for not just this USMNT team, but also, like, US soccer fans in general. Joe, did you kind of want to touch on that specifically, like, almost the lost generation and how the World Cup only, specifically the World Cup, can change a player's career and can change the perception in the eyes of fans all around the world um, and, and what that could mean for this team as well? Absolutely. Um, there was another player that I remember from that time, uh, Diskarud, who was absolutely somebody that was a contributor at the time. Um, Zardes was still fairly young at the time, and we don't know what he would have been able to do. Um, can't remember what the exact injuries was, but you'll notice that from 2018, from where we stopped, I think there's only three players left from that roster that's on here now. And as Jackie alluded to, that just completely we we just completely missed what for example regardless of what you now think of let's just say uh, Altador or a uh, Michael Bradley or whomever they never got their send off to what they realistically deserve to get with their careers as a whole and they're just going to remember it unfortunately for I, a really bad 90 minutes and they're like, I Bradley, whenever he gets the ball in MLS, he's booed <laughs> wherever you go. Um, as soon as he touches the ball for no other reason, other than he was a person that played in that game. Which, um, can we, can we just go ahead and say, that's lame. Don't do that. Yeah. 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 He was Come also on one of the, if you look beyond that one game, he's probably one of the best players that the U S has played in a long time. Don't be weird. Just just stop that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I Joe, think he was an easy villain to put, like put oh, yes. a lot of the anger on and I see why it happened, but again, as we we are qualified for this World Cup and we are guaranteed qualified for the next one and so because of that, right? This is when you start reflecting on like it, this is when anger turns into reflection, right? And it's weird that it's taken 5 years for that to have happened, but like I've been thinking a lot in the last few few months, honestly, about how like Michael Bradley has just been shit on for the last few years. And like, realistically, like he was really good. I don't know how good he is now, but he was really good. Like there, I, I'm just looking at the, um, the World Cup qualifying roster from October, 2017. Like 
right? This is probably like 2017 was probably why Darlington Abbey decided he didn't want to play for the USMNT anymore, right? Like, uh, yeah. like yeah. Josie, Clint, Chris, Wando, like, you know, they never got the send offs they deserved, or and like Josie, I mean, that's complicated, but you, you know, and uh, I mean, Demarcus Beasley was on this roster and like he played for us for so many World Cups, he you know, broke so many barriers in European soccer for us. And like, he kind of retired without much fanfare in Houston, right? Uh, because he didn't get a World Cup send off, you know, that the World Cup send off he deserved. Uh, and right. like, it felt weird celebrating these players who are retiring after that cycle, right? And like, US, if US soccer had tried to give some sort of testimonial match or something to like, Dempsey, Wando, Beasley, Howard, etc. Like at the time, frankly, like I can, you as the soccer fandom would not have reacted very well. <laughs> I'll, I'll say that right now. But now that we're looking at it five years later, it does kind of, you know, make my heart hurt a little, I guess. Yeah. It, it, it's sad for that reason. I mean, just looking back on that roster, I, I think about what Bobby Wood could have been. He was at Hamburg. What could he have been? Um, if he had that World Cup, I look at a player like I don't. I mean, DeAndre Yedlin. What could his career turned into had he done well in that World Cup? And he still had a great career. But what could have it could have been better? I mean, maybe I, a guy like Darlington Nagby. Um, you look at the guys on this roster. Christian Pulisic saw the field that day. Paul Ariola saw the field that day. Uh, uh, who else? Kellen Acosta came on as a sub. Clint Dempsey played his, it might have been his final game or one of his final games for the national team, a certainly last meaningful game that day, and he retired because the U.S. didn't make the World Cup. Like, we're talking about a top two player in the history of the men's national team gone because of 90 minutes. And we didn't give the, them the time to be like, this was sad for them, this is sad for what they could have been, and... So the soccer fandom as a whole was more like, eh, this is on you. And that is not right. And I'm not willing to let that be the end of their stories because Michael Bradley is a legend. Clint Dempsey is a legend. Josie Altador is a legend. Tim Howard is one of the best goalkeepers we've ever had. Those 90 minutes aren't what made or break their soccer career. And so this is the time for that reflection to say, hey, these guys didn't get what they deserve. And this is our chance to kind of touch on that. Because once the World Cup comes around, once we start playing games with this team again, this reflection period's over and it's kind of on to it. But I really do want to have this reflection, you know, while we're here, because I think it's just so important, you know. Because oh, we never I, had it, right? I we just never had it. Yeah, Joe. Thanks. Yeah, sorry. Um, I think something that's going to help tremendously is what is the best thing to forgive sins on any sports team future success? We have basically this team, again, is the equivalent of an Olympic under 23 team. And as Jackie alluded to earlier, guess what? In four years from now, we have the World Cup at our place. We have an amazing opportunity to use this coming upcoming world cup have success at it and then use that as a springboard 
to show fans across America what this team is really about again. And if we do a really good job the next four years overall, that's going to bury whatever sins were committed back in 2017. It's going to, it's not going to be a, a what we, we got to always remember that it's going to be, we've come so far from that. And I think it's going to go a long way how we remember, like, for example, if we make, let's just say we make a semifinal run in 2026, let's just say that we do. I think that's going to go a long way to alleviating whatever stress that there was on a Michael Bradley or a Hercules, uh, not Hercules Gomez, uh, Gonzalez, excuse me, or uh, Altador or anybody of that nature. I think that would go a really long way. So it, I can't understate how important it is that we did qualify this cycle. So I just want to make sure that that was touched on just a little bit. Yeah. Uh, Karun, I saw you hopped in. Do you guys do, or do you want to touch on that at all? I mean, you know, that's, I guess that just, that comes with the territory of being a uh, soccer player. You get love and you get, and a minority of people will give you some hate. But like, I don't know. Definitely, that strong of an opinion on it. Yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, right. If you're if you're trying to talk about feelings, like uh, the guy who's really into stats is probably not going to be like talking about the sentimentality of these guys. <laughs> I don't mean that as shade at all. I like really respect that you know all the stats and stuff, but it makes sense that he's kind of like <laughs> deep in my feels about it. You know, like I'm like. <laughs> I'm like mourning people who didn't get testimonials <laughs> and I'm like t- thinking about like, you know, I'm thinking about like the albatross draped over our shoulders, so to speak and all this stuff. And, you know, uh, and I mean, uh, I, I'm, I'm hoping that this goes some way towards me finally uh, not cringing anytime I see Bruce arena. Um, Cause I know that people will, people say he's, you know, a, a, an all time great or whatever. And like, right. Like there, you could, you like up until we qualified and even probably now a little bit, like you could have quoted any number at me, any statistic, whatever. And I'd immediately be like, yeah, but he didn't qualify for the world cup. Right. Like that was him. Right. And that was what he was tied to in the same way that, yeah. You could tie, I don't know, Omar Gonzalez to whatever stats, and I'd I'd immediately say the same thing. Um, so maybe, maybe, hopefully, some something that comes out of this is I, you know, finally uh, acknowledge that Bruce Arena is actually a good manager. I mean, yeah. he's good relative to where he's coached. Yeah, I mean, for most U.S. managers, I mean, maybe with the exception of Jurgen Klinsmann, who like also managed Germany. So, like, I don't know. Like, Jurgen's a weird one just because of... I mean, he's one of the greatest players in the history of soccer. Like, as for what he's achieved in the World Cup. You know, so that's kind of a weird one. But for Bob... We talk about him like our weird soccer uncle, but we gotta remember the guys won, like, multiple World Cups. So right, like... like to... Right, man- managed Germany in a World Cup, I believe, right? That's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, like... That's kind of, that, that's those achievements are not uh anything to laugh at. Like that's kind of something that 
most U.S. coaches, probably all U.S. coaches, will never um, be able to achieve. I think you're you right remember about- when he like the the uh, oh gosh Copa America Centenario even like I I even though we I mean I think we got whooped by Argentina or yeah, something we lost, in the like, semis. three nil or four nil to Argentina in the right semis. but the fact that we made it to the semis even gave me so much hope and so like I was thinking about um oh gosh I think it might have been Walt who was talking about like that time period uh and like the uh, the lack of optimism that we felt but it's weird because it's like i remember feeling good until it felt really bad all of a sudden and then it just kept feeling bad for five years it's like it's like i i i i I have a migraine that's finally clearing right and i'm like looking around and every if okay if you are if you get migraines if you're out there and you're listening you get this but for those who don't right like if you get a migraine like truly it feels like there is a blanket over your brain. Like you cannot really process things like light hurts, like uh, thinking too hard hurts, whatever. And like when, when it's finally starts clearing, you literally feel like a new person. And that's kind of how I feel, but like in my soccer fandom, like I, I don't know that I'll ever be a good vibes only type of gal. Like I, I don't think I have that in me, but I, I don't, I don't have to say if we qualify for the world cup for at least another, like until like, you know, for like eight years, you know, and that, uh, like I have to, I have to acknowledge that that's nice. It just sucks that we lost also. Like it sucks that we didn't get our celebratory moment. Like it sucks that all, we were all kind of like, yeah. Um, but then again, that, that's our team that, that fits, I guess, in a weird way. Yeah. I mean, I, honestly, this, you go ahead. I'm, I don't know. I think it's been since like, 2010 or whatever my thing is like um i'm happy if we make the quarterfinals i'm okay if we make the round of 16 i'm not happy if we go out of the group stage and i've kind of just that's been my baseline yeah but even that's progress from i'll be happy if we make it like it's finally this instance where the hurt has stopped you know you think about geo reina is basically what Christian Pulisic was in 2017. And we don't have to see Gio Reyna crying because they didn't make it because they did. Right. Yeah. Right. That's a step forward. That means that there's actual progress being made. Uh, it's getting closer to not being, <laughs> I think about like how much, uh, stress I won't have over the next, uh, eight years. Um, to make the world cup that's good for my heart you know yeah i'll take that yeah jackie you were talking about how um like it was one of those things where we felt good until we didn't and it's one of those things where it's because we were supposed to make the world cup you know taylor twelman did a really interesting like like short on his like he had booked a couple rounds of golf the next day he was ready to just have a good time you cover the game have a good time the day afterwards. And then it all kind of fell apart. Uh, like, we were supposed to win. We weren't supposed to lose. We weren't supposed to not make the World Cup. We were supposed to get a point, or we were supposed to have either Mexico or Costa Rica do their job, and they just didn't. Like, that's just kind of the way it was. And you also um, made a point about how like we didn't have a real moment to celebrate. And I think the real moment of 
catharsis was the Panama game because of the way it's like, okay, like, we did the job. But also, I don't think there's really going to be, like, you know what, we've righted those wrongs until either we have success in this World Cup, but really until they're doing it in the United States, and it's like, oh, we've really come a long way, haven't we? Like, we've really come a long way since Michael Bradley getting booed wherever he went to maybe, hopefully, knock on wood wherever you are. I know we've said it on this pod a couple times uh, in the past, but knock on wood, maybe the United States makes the semifinals. And it's and there's just, we're, we're selling out football stadiums, and it's like, oh, we've come a long way uh, since Kuva. But I'm, I'm glad we had it's this. Just, it's the scar yeah. tissue of 2017, though, that, like, despite the fact that realistically we whooped Panama so so good that, like, we we needed to not lose by six, but the scar tissue of 2017, right, where all of these improbable things occurred that led to us not making it to the World Cup happened, right? We lost to a team that was already out with a fluky-ass own goal, and... Panama scored a goal that didn't actually cross the line or whatever, right? And it was Panama, right? Yeah. Uh, all of which to say, right? Like, I like I remember all of those things kind of uh, stacking on top of each other in 2017, such that I couldn't even really enjoy and celebrate after the Panama game because I was so freaked out that the seemingly impossibly statistically unlikely thing would happen because it did in 2017 right and so that's that's like the scar tissue that's always going to hold for people who are fans of the u.s men's national team in 2017 right like as much as you know we're qualified through the next world cups like i bet in 2029 i am going to be having a very similar conversation with somebody about how like, yeah, we theoretically should be fine. But if you remember in 2017 and the, and if the person was following soccer in 2017, they'll kind of nod grimly, right? Because like, I, I, I don't think there's ever, I don't think we are ever going to fully like, I don't think this is something that you like fully push past, right? Uh, but I think it's something that you grow from, certainly. And I think it's something that Greg learned to, you know, he learned to put the best 11 out uh, at the Azteca, for example. And like, uh, the hope is that you actually build from this. And I do wonder, like, uh, cause, cause all of the media the next day was, where do we go from here? What are we doing? If you'll recall that speech, um, all of that stuff. And I do, you know, thinking back to those, thinking back to those think pieces, I do think about like, well, have we gone through the progression that we expected U.S. soccer to go through as a result of us, like catastrophically missing this World Cup because it was a disaster, right? And uh, I don't, I don't know that we've done that, but I, I guess, I guess, like this, this goes a little bit towards healing that scar tissue a little bit. I feel like missing the World Cup has had like the opposite effect on me. It's like it seems like some of us are like the leave to get back, but to me, it just makes me. It's like. Now I want a fucking semifinal, and I want a final, and I want to win a fucking... Because, like, oh, we missed the World Cup? Well, we need to make up for that shit. It's like um, Milwaukee Bucks in, I think, 2019. Like, 2020, they were, like, went on some 70-win thing, and then they lost in, like, the second round of the playoffs when they were supposed to win that shit. 
now I I was falling. I'm like, now I want to fucking win everything, and I want to go 82 wins and all that shit. It's like, I don't know. Failing makes me want to, like, compensate for the failure, if that makes sense. No, that makes a ton of sense. No, I, I 100% understand where you come from. Um, I do want to touch on the World Cup, the actual the World Cup that we're going to be in, not the one that we missed. So, But I love this conversation, guys. Thanks so much for having it. And I kind of just want to touch on that last thing. I think um, Matt did something like we're, we had that moment of Christian Pulisic crying on the field in Trinidad, and we can all just be glad that Gio didn't have that same thing happen to him this time around, that it wasn't Eunice, that we had that moment. And that we've been able to grow from it. That we've been able to move on and create hope. where And, and bring in young players and see where these players are going to. We have players at Dortmund, but not only Dortmund like it was four years ago. Now we have players at Valencia and Juventus and Barcelona. This, this hasn't happened at any other time in the history of the U.S. men's national team. And... It's only happened in these last four years. So while we can be sad, deservedly so, that we missed a we missed the World Cup, and that that matters a lot. We can be happy and say, "Hey, look at where we've come. Look at look at what we've done, and look at what we can do." Because how we've handled these last four years, how we haven't let this define our federation, and how as a team, these guys were able to right those wrongs to however however much they could be righted and get back to the World Cup is it means it all. This is all that they could have done. That's the only way they could have solved this is get to the World Cup and they did it. And Gio Reyna doesn't have to be crying on the field. He gets to be doing the gritty on an airplane with two other 19-year-olds because they're going to the World Cup. So that's nice to see. Um and now I kind of want to just touch on the World Cup itself. Uh, we know um, who the U.S. will be playing. We know when they're going to be playing them. Um, we know that the U.S. will uh, kick off the World Cup with the winner of the last European playoff that obviously because of the war in Ukraine was not able to be completed. So it will be Wales versus the winner of Ukraine or Scotland those games will take place in June so it, we will have to wait a couple months until we know who the U.S.'s first World Cup opponent will be will it be uh Gareth Bale or will it be Andy Robertson or will it be uh Zinchenko or any one of those uh Ukrainian guys so that game not one to uh, uh write off um by any means you can't in the World Cup all these teams are going to be good uh the second game is the big one. Uh, we're taking on England on Black Friday, so that'll be fun. That'll be a massive TV audience. And last but not least, uh, we're going to finish off the group stage with an underrated team, I think, especially if you look at um, some like the ELO numbers uh, in the Islamic Republic yeah. of Iran. I, I know. That, yeah, I know that, um, Karun, you're big on that uh the numbers, so you're with me on Iran. Uh, what do we kind of think about those opponents? Um, particularly the two that we already know. I think we're all kind of in agreement that really we should get to the round of 16, 
but I don't think that it's um uh anything's for certain with this group. Uh, does anybody kind of want to jump in and give their initial thoughts on this uh, qualif on these uh, first three teams? Ivano, good, and I'll add up to that. The the having a, they've been like historically dominant in qualification over the last two cycles. In uh, 2014, they were very difficult for Argentina. They tied Nigeria, lost to Bosnia. 2018, they um, beat Morocco, tied Portugal, and I think they lost that on like a penalty to Spain. And so they missed the group of death by like a point. Ghana's good. Um, they also, the other difficulty they pose is they we're not that good at low blocks they can play like that they are very good at defending and they have technical players who can hurt you on the counter so we're going to need a solution tactically for that um, england are very talented but they also have a tendency to uh Drop points against teams about a level, uh, at least in regulation, give them extra time, penalties, whatever. But in 90 minutes, they will draw teams like us as often as they beat them. So we could realistically get a point there. Also, there's some nice history there. 2010, we won the group. 1950, England had come off a 10-0 win against the defending champions. They'd beaten the all-European team 6-1. They were supposed to be the best team on the planet. Fallen away. Beat them. We still finished last, but it's nice to have that little banter of being undefeated against them in competitive matches, and I would like that to continue. Yeah, uh, I'm with you on that. Um... Obviously, with the first uh, the the first group stage match is still very up, uh, much up in the air, but I think for the sake of conversation, let's assume that it's Wales. I don't know where the final numbers came out, but Wales would have been either a pot two team or a pot three team, probably a pot two team, right? If the the Ukraine situation hadn't happened the way it did, we would not have had a shot of playing Wales because they would have been in our pot. So I think there is that little interesting thing that um, somebody d uh, calculated the ELO, which is just, it's like the FIFA rankings. It's a way of um, doing, uh, just like measuring teams up to how good they are. Um, our group had one of the lower ELO totals. It's, it's within 100 points uh, either way. Um, but our standard deviation, I know this is getting very mathematical, which is like the difference between the average essentially was the lowest. So we have, at least by the numbers, the most competitive group in the World Cup, which is like, okay, we've got Iran, but Iran are a good team. We could get Wales. Wales are a very good team. So we're going to have to earn our way to the round of 16. Matt, I saw you were uh, unmuted, or Joe, I saw you were unmuted. Do you want to touch on that? Yeah. Uh, just to add on to your point, Wales would have just missed out on pot two. They would have been the highest ranked team in pot three, assuming the playoff structure didn't go the, the way that it did. Um, to add to earlier, Bales also likes to sit back and you attack on the counter with Bale. So yeah, that's, that's going to be an... just small. You said the 
maybe I misheard. You said the ELO of the group was low. What I saw, it was the fourth highest of the eight teams. So it's like middle of the pack group in, as per ELO difficulty, at least. Okay. Okay, I, I saw a graph. Yeah, yeah. Joe, you're going to continue about Wales? Oh, it's okay. Well, I was actually going to go further into the group then as well. Um, this group as a whole, I would say that it's reasonable. It's de- I want to call it fortunate. This is obvious, very easily not the easiest group that we could have gotten. And it is leaning a little bit towards one of the harder groups. I mean, other than maybe Senegal or Ecuador, we got pretty much the hardest team out of both pot three and four, arguably. But the thing that makes it a little bit better is with the new structure for, that started in 2018, as opposed to having people drawn by region, you did it from the top eight ranked teams to the next eight, so on and so forth. It makes the groups a lot more balanced. And even in this group, I think this is probably the most balanced group on paper. While England does stand out as favorites to top the group, we match up well against them in the fact that their play style is fairly conservative. Um, they're not going to just come running at you. Um, so they're probably going to maintain possession against us when we play them. And that actually plays into our strengths because we're really good in the transition and potentially hitting people on their counter. And while their midfield by no means is bad, there's not a ton of playmakers in the midfield. England, that would, let, let me put it this way, they I'm not scared of England's midfield. I am more scared of their, like, Sterling or Kane. I'm That is obviously going to be a much bigger problem. But because of England's play style and the way that we match up against them, and it might just come down to this, between the U.S., Iran, and Wales, we probably have the best chance of getting result against them. And that could be the difference. And we're talking about the other two games between possibly being a between a low block. It's going to be either a 1-0 win for one team or the other or a possible 0-0. It's going to be really thin margins. So if we're the only team that gets a point versus England, that gives us a, a massive advantage over the other two, assuming it's Wales. Yeah. yeah, we also like um, you know, the Elo what Elo does is it rates teams pretty well based on performance. But at big tournaments, talent often just supersedes form. Um, we have like ten players in the Champions League. Wales has like one. Like the second best player is um, he plays. I don't even remember. He's the Aaron he Ramsey. Oh yeah. Oh oh, you mean Dan James? Well, I I yeah. would say their I would say their second best player is probably Aaron Ramsey, who I I think he's still with Juventus. I might be wrong about that. He's with uh, with Juventus, but on loan in Scotland. Okay, thanks. Because I knew I knew that he was with Juve at some point, but he, uh, he's not really been able to break into that squad. Um, but Bill, obviously their best. Ramsey, probably their second best. But I, I'm with you, Corinne. Like, there's not. There, we shouldn't be scared of that side. Um, 
and we shouldn't be scared of any side really uh but i mean i we i could see us you know maybe being like okay we're just gonna try and defend and hope versus france or spain or a team like that or brazil but i mean versus wales we have as much a chance as any team um versus england i agree we should take a point if we get five points which means that we ha- we wouldn't lose the game we're going to the second round i'd say five or more certainly um round of 16 bound uh, maybe even four or two, just depending on how that all shakes out. But yeah, I'm with you um, on Wales. Is like th- They have performed well. I mean, obviously, the 2016 Euros was kind of their peak, uh, making it to the semifinals. Uh, that was a special run. I don't think that's Wales now. I also don't think that's ne- that was necessarily Wales then. Sometimes you can get lucky. Sometimes you can play just a very good four or five games. We see it in the World Cup sometimes, too. But this is a group that we should be able to play against i am with uh I've, i i think multiple people have mentioned it now about low blocks and playing styles that scotland very defensive team we saw how they played england in the euros they just sat back and defended uh for 90 minutes and they were able to uh get that draw in the euros that's similar to how i think that they would play if scotland manages to get in somehow um i think that they're the least likely of those uh three uh potential teams that we would get but they scare me a little bit. You're right about Iran. They don't let in many goals at all. That's scary as well. I've been well. liking because like, they play expansively, and I'll be honest, yeah. and honestly, on paper, they're not bad. They're probably the weakest. See? I-, I think attacking-wise, maybe Scotland's the weakest, but defensively, like they got Kieran Tierney, they've got Andy Robertson, they've got some players there. Um and I think they play in basically a five back. Like it's truly a five back. It's not like a three five yeah. two. It's like a it's a five back. So yeah, I'm with you on that. Um, I I think more generally in the the like, broader context of the World Cup, it's going to be a good tournament. Partially because I don't think that there is a group of death. I people love talking about the group of death, group of death, uh, group of death. I think. I mean, a reasonable expectation would have been the Canada group equals the group of death. I honestly think that even that group managed to not be a group of death. Um, I am excited to see kind of what our CONCACAF brethren will be able to do. Um, Mexico uh, are in, I think it's Group C against Argentina. That could be an interesting matchup. Um I don't think Costa Rica uh, got um, stuck in a pretty difficult group. I think Group E is brutal. I mean, Group E, yeah. I mean, that's a tough group. I mean, I'm not saying Costa Rica is going to get out of that group. That wasn't my point. I don't think Costa Rica makes that group a group of death. Is kind of what I was saying. Like, there's no group of mm-hmm. death really in here. Um, the Belgium group, Belgium, Canada, Morocco, Croatia. That's a good group, but I mean, it's an aging group. Uh, when you talk about Belgium and Croatia, Morocco without uh Hakim Ziyech, uh presumably as he's basically retired from the national team. So all those things taken into account, there's not really a group of death, which makes this all the more interesting as to like, this could go anywhere. You know, you expect the top teams to advance, but could you get Serbia doing something um, similar to how they were able to do something versus Portugal? uh, Serbia are good. Yeah, they're a good team. Similar to how they were able to, you know, steal a victory right at the end versus Portugal and get auto qualification as a result could they do something similar uh in a group that also contains brazil and switzerland um so just kind of the bouncing around just generally it's interesting um i think i will just kind of 
uh, touch on the U.S.'s group uh, kind of one more time, then hop off, because I think this has been a, a quite a good uh, roundtable, uh, covered basically everything I want to talk about. Um, I think generally as it pertains to the World Cup, and you've seen this a lot of different places, uh, kind of everywhere we've looked, um, in the fallout to this uh, group stage, and to us making the World Cup generally, seven months now about until we're going to go to the world cup seven and a half months uh to we're probably going to play that first game against uh the euro playoff winner a lot can change a lot can change especially when you are starting 22 and 23 and teenagers as well in the world cup uh a lot can change for their club situations between now and then so this team that we saw take the field versus Costa Rica or Panama or Mexico in this last window is not going to be the same team um, in November in the way that England, you know what you're going to expect. Iran, you're probably going to know what to expect. You don't know what you're, you're going to expect from the U.S., but I don't think it's going to get worse because all that these players have is just room to grow. That's what's exciting. Does anybody want to kind of touch on what this U.S. team could be then and how this team could get better than it already has? Well, the number one way this team can get better is having one of the forwards come good. That's probably our biggest issue, especially against these uh, block teams. It would be nice to have a center forward elevate a bit. Get healthy and stay healthy. Uh, getting Put everyone on ice right now. For real, everybody, you know, ice, ibuprofen, get it, get it pumping, get, let's get moving. <laughs> let's get Weston McKinney back in here. Let's get Serginio Dust back in here. Let's, let's get Matt Turner back in here. Okay. Yeah. Maybe don't put them on ice given. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Actually, yeah like maybe heat rep for Matt. Right. <laughs> yeah. Jackie, do you want to hit on that? Oh, Wait, what? You mean the Matt Turner? I, no, I'm no. curious whether it's an April Fool's joke, right? Anyway. <laughs> Uh, uh, you like the, did not the, the, mean the, the meme. You meant the team. No, yeah, the, the broader context of player development. Understood. Understood. Yeah. Uh, I feel like I, I feel like I disagree in that. Like the core of the team is going to stay relatively the same, right? Asterisk, asterisk. As long as they're healthy, and maybe that's the thing. Is like the core of the. We know what the core of the team is in theory, but like, actually, have we ever had Tim Weah, Gio, Christian, Wes, Eunice, Tyler, all on the field at the same time? Like, I can't think of a time that we have. So I guess, I guess, like, in my head, I know what to expect, but actually, we have no idea what to expect in terms of what they're going to look like. And so maybe don't put them all on ice, because I'd love to see them all play in the Nations League. I'm just worried about them getting hurt. I hate that so many of our players are so injury prone, and I do worry that it's because they're playing so much so young. I mean, like, biologically, right? Like, dudes don't fully round into their adult bodies until their early 20s, and Gio's 19. Uh, so, I don't know. Um, I'm not a doctor, so... I, um, but I, I do... I am actually excited, despite my very large nerves for uh, particularly the England game, because I think this team, because they're all young and they all 
They all carry the albatross of 2017 on their shoulders and they're all, they've all got giant chips on their shoulders and they all feel like they've got a thing to prove, right? I feel like if anything against a strong opponent, they're going to have a good time. Uh, like, like I think, uh, I think what might happen is we get three points against England, but then like n- no other points and just qualify on gold differential or something. Like, I don't, I don't know. Um, I guess that's not how that we would work. That. Right, right. The the four one zero, you know, or the three one zero uh formula worked great for us in twenty fourteen. Happy to have that happen to us again. Um I think I think like Gareth Bale is a cheat code for Wales, right? Taylor Navas is like a miracle worker for Costa Rica. I wish we had a miracle worker. And I don't think we have one in terms of like either someone who will miraculously stop goals or miraculously score goals. Um, yeah, that's like my only worry. the The level of talent on this team is ridiculous. Uh, I I'm starting to kind of get pumped about it. Actually, uh, if anything, there are going to be people who miss out that we're all very upset to see miss out. Um, but yeah, we don't we don't have like a. We don't have like a miracle worker, you know. Pulisic's yeah. not going to score a goal out of nowhere. Yeah, they um, could become a miracle. Worker. Yeah, I, I'm. With, we somebody could develop between now and then. Um, it is good. It's worth pointing out. A group of extremely young young players tend to improve over time, and like just Cliff Richards could be starting at Bayern Munich next season. Joe you know, if he stays, stays healthy, looks like a very good bet to become a lot better. We could have, on theoretically, we should have a better team than we do now. Theoretically. Also, young, fit, athletic, probably going to help us in the Qatari Heat playing against older, aging teams. So. Yeah. No, I- I'm with you. Um, yeah, Joe, I'll let you kind of finish up the point of, like, we have never seen Pulisic, Gio, uh, Weston, Tyler, Serginho. I, I think that particular combination really the big the big guns of this team. I believe I'm right in saying that we've never seen them on the field together, uh, ever. Like I think, I think the exact stat is the five players of Tyler Adams, Serginho Dest, Weston McKinney, Gio Reyna, and Christian Pulisic have not played a single minute all in the same field together. Yeah, never. So ever. If if we can get that working by November, that could be something special, right? Right. That I that makes a gigantic difference. Even having like having McKinney and Dest back, going back to like the game in Azteca. We probably win that game. Um, also, I don't, I don't know if this will happen, considering the lack of realistic playing time they'll have between now and then. I would love to see, or at least try out, center back partnership of Chris Richard and John Brooks. Yeah, I think that gives us, and I want to make sure that's not an indictment on anybody that's currently playing. It's something that we haven't seen. And those are theoretically our top two most 
the deepest talent of the position. I would, I guess I would phrase it that way. And we haven't seen them together at bare minimum. I want to make sure that we get a lot more of Chris Richards. Obviously he was injured this last window, but the couple times that he was, I would like to see if he partners well with either uh, Robinson's Brooks or Zimmerman or whomever. I would really like to try. I would, if I had a, it was my decision. I would love to at least try center back pairing and see what we can get with it if it doesn't work out it doesn't work out and then at least we know what we have with miles robinson and zimmerman but i want to at least give it a shot i agree yeah i i love the miles walker pairing because it's just one of so many games like you can make a direct correlation to like the reason why we had so much defensive success in qualifying is because those two played so, so solid, um, you know, home and away. Like, away, we didn't have great success, but it wasn't because we were giving up many goals. It's because we weren't scoring them. Like, like really, the worst game was that Canada game, and it's because Canada had that goal early where there was some miscommunication and it kind of all went wrong, and then... They had that breakaway goal at the end because we were stepping high and pushing a high line, and it kind of was what it was. So I like seeing those two. I also think, you know, as we head uh, over the next couple months, getting those rotations, seeing what works, also doing it opponent by opponent because sometimes Brooks is going to work versus an opponent. Sometimes he's not. Sometimes it makes more sense to have, you know, Miles versus an opponent. Sometimes maybe it won't. Uh, You know, you could say that for every player. So kind of mixing and matching seeing maybe what's your ideal combination, maybe what works versus certain teams and what doesn't versus others is going to be really the goal of this team. You know, seeing uh, what this team can be with the different pieces it could bring in, furthering the depth that it created in qualifying. Those are all tasks for Greg Berhalter and the national team over the next couple months. But I can say the United States have made the World Cup. We are going to Qatar. We are going to be there in just a couple months' time. Uh, to write uh, another you know, chapter in the storybook of the U.S. men's national team on the world stage. The last time we got to do that was 2014, and now we're back, and it feels really, really nice. So thank you guys so much for coming on uh, and talking uh, with me about Costa Rica uh, and kind of the fallout from that, making the World Cup, and what it's going to look like. Uh, thank you so much for doing it um, in previous episodes too. I really appreciate it. Uh, This wasn't the first time that many of you came on. And so I want to thank you guys so much for helping me out through this uh, window of qualifying. It's been a lot of fun. I don't know when when we're going to do this next, um, but for all listeners, uh, look out for, you know, maybe when I want to just host a round table and just kind of see what's going on. So I would recommend uh, you guys to join the discord. I would recommend you guys to um, just, Continue to listen and enjoy and give me feedback on what can uh, be made better. Uh, next week, we're going to be back with a normal MLS pod. Um, hopefully, we're going to have a, a co-host in the next week or so, uh, maybe next two weeks. Look out for that. So it's really just uh, going to be a lot of fun. We're just going to continue to grow. But um, it's it just been so fun, this uh, this la- latest international window and throughout all of qualifying. Um and the fact that it's culminated in the United States making the World Cup makes it that much sweeter. So thank you so much for listening. Um, so until next Tuesday, uh, enjoy life. Enjoy the beautiful game. I'll see you then. And uh, you guys are going to the World Cup, baby. Mm-hmm.